Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we're offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 37. Our look at cirrhosis patients and their needs. Cirrhosis patients have long been a special focus for this podcast due to the fact that they are the most imperiled of all NASH patients and have the shortest time to decompensation and other severe health events. This conversation starts by picking up again on the semaglutide trial. Lars Johansson asks Joran Schottenberg whether he believes that SEMA might, in fact, delay progression, which would be a benefit for cirrhosis patients. Joran agrees that the 48-week regression is a challenging, maybe unrealistic standard, and also shares Lars's belief that SEMA probably delayed progression, which would be a significant benefit in its own right. From there, the discussion moved into looking at metabolic markers of cirrhosis we could use to get a better read on what was going on, such as HVPG or liver and spleen volume. Lars notes that the ideal would be to measure whether the intervention slows or stops fibrogenic activity from stellate cells. He mentions ongoing trials in Taros is conducting using edoxetate to measure stellate cell activity and states that he hopes to have his first data from this trial with interventions in the next 6 to 12 months. In the absence of new drugs, this conversation focuses on the pincer movement of improving patient communication and engagement on one flank and producing superior disease models, liquid biomarkers, and new drugs on the other. The interplay of the two sets needs creates an interesting dynamic in its own right. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. What we're going to be talking about today is cirrhosis. We had an episode last summer on cirrhosis that was extremely well received. We've come back to it a couple of times since then with different casts of characters. And there was a cirrhosis late breaker with semaglutide at ILC a couple of weeks ago, which Jorn is an author. And one of the many one-on-one conversations Lars and I have had that for technical reasons have not made it onto this program was actually about some of the things that he is doing and, and, and they are developing to study and evaluate cirrhosis. So I think this should be a fascinating conversation. And I'm excited to listen. Louise and I have decided we know how to ask questions, and that's probably all we need to do. Lars Johansson. One question to Jörn to start with. I'm just curious on your thoughts of, on the SEMA data, which, which Rohit presented, where we actually participated as well. Do you think that there is a chance that uh, drugs like SEMA or others, even though you don't see a regression in fibrosis, actually inhibit progression? Because that could still alter the faith of these patients, I guess. I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Jörn Schattenberg. Yeah, I think it was a very straightforward forward study that aimed at the regulatory endpoints, improvement of fibrosis by one stage, and the study was negative. It was actually a pretty high placebo response rate, which exceeded the number of patients in the SEMA group. So a negative study, but it showed a very favorable effect on the endpoints that SEMA has been shown to have a benefit on, improvement in H1A1C, weight loss, and also a decrease in transaminases for whatever that is good for. But I would say that, yes, it was safe. It has benefit for the patient. It was a negative study in terms of the primary endpoint. We cannot reverse cirrhosis in that time frame studied. But this is where I think your expertise and knowledge comes in because I'd like to understand what changes in these patients. And there are, um, there are early signs of portal hypertension that might be reversed. We've been seeing some data on spleen and liver size. I'm sure blood volume could be measured and assessed, and I know the two of us discussed this previously, and I'd be very much interested to learn how that was affected in this type of trial. Bottom line for me, I think it might take a little longer to actually show regression of cirrhosis, but even if they stabilize those patients, that would be a benefit um, in terms of using these type of drugs. Yeah, I agree. And I think we don't know, obviously, if it inhibits progression or not, but I think there could be early signs that we could look at, like the subclinical uh, signs of of portal hypertension. I mean, these patients, typically, 
if you look at these, they don't suffer from uh, splenomegaly, but they have increased spleen volumes. That's what we've seen. We see that they're typically in the order, if you go from an F1, you see increased spleen volumes of 20-30%. Now, to call it splenomegaly, you need to go to, it's it's pretty much like uh, three times the normal spleen before we call it splenomegaly. So it's 300% increase. But as we go up, we see very clear increases in spleen volumes and as signs of early increase in portal pressure. And if you can show that you're reducing that and you, you most likely have done something good to the patient, but exactly how that translates into future events we don't know yet. It's still too early to say, but it's definitely indicative of an improved situation on portal pressure, but it could also be reduced inflammation that hasn't yet translated into reduction in fibrosis. Some of the studies done with the bypass, they show it takes many, many years to regress fibrosis. So in, in a metabolic situation, such as or improvement, such as you get with the uh, GLP-1s, you may not see regression in fibrosis in that time frame. So question to Lars and you and Louise, actually. Short of regressing fibrosis, what are the measures that you could look at that would tell you whether we're having a better effect for the patient? What would we be looking to stabilize? And are there actually metrics that you might hope to reverse even before you saw regression in fibrosis that would tell you that the patient's quality of life or prospects for long-term health were better? Here are my thoughts. As I mentioned, in the SEMA4 trial, there was a lot of improvement in metabolic parameters, which are beneficial for mm. patients. But you're thinking of liver endpoints and liver benefits. So one of the measures that's clearly been linked to outcome and that has also been accepted as surrogate for drug approval by the regulators is HPPG, which assesses portal hypertension. And Lars, you mentioned this as something that could be non-invasively assessed. My understanding and knowledge, it has not uh, been valid. So any non-invasive technique has been validated um, to meet HPPG to correlate with it. But if we improve early signs of portal hypertension, improve portal or decrease portal pressure, even in the area where it's not clinical significant portal hypertension yet, and that's, you know, when we're approaching end-stage disease and and, uh, talking about very serious bleeding, ascites, even if we improve portal pressure in that preclinical stage, I'm convinced this is a benefit for the patient. As you rightfully said, I think it's a combination of both metabolically driven inflammation and the amount of collagen in the liver and the remodeling that's been going on with MR technologies. And maybe you can educate us again what's the current state-of-the-art in that context that could be used to assess a, you know, we're, we could be simply talking liver size, but also um, blood flow uh, to and from the liver. And um, these aspects uh, should be translating into benefit for the patient uh, and, and as far as I understand this disease. I agree with you, Jaron. I think that the good thing is that this patient population in the compensated cirrhosis is still not that bad in terms of other effects. I mean, you, you still, you don't see all the retrograde flow that you can see in the decompensated. You don't have so much scarring in the spleen. So some of these surrogate endpoints still work in this early stage of cirrhosis. And that's why I think we, we still see the plasticity of the spleen being there, meaning that it can be used as a surrogate. Blood flow for sure. We are looking right now into portal venous resistive index like we do in the renal arteries. We look at the renal arterial 
resistive index, which would be a proxy for HVPG. Uh, so that's the ongoing work we're doing right now. But of course, we don't have outcome data on these yet. Uh, and that's another study which we are setting up, which is a big longitudinal study uh, to really follow these patients over time. In, in the discussions I've been involved with the authorities, it's also been very clear that if you want to go into late stage portal hypertension, they will not accept anything else than, than HVPG for a phase 2B and then obviously outcome for a phase 3. So I think that's where we are right now. But if you're looking for signs of improving the condition for the patients, I think there are multiple things we can look at, like the spleen volume, the blood flow, and then the more advanced if your drug is actually turning down stellate cell activity. But that's not for the broad studies because it's too complicated, but it will give you an indication whether you're actually turning down stellate cell activation, which we also can start to look at. But that's with PET, not with MRI. So it's not scalable to large clinical trials. That is very interesting. And I know Roger has something to say about that because we've had Neil Henderson and Scott Friedman on here regularly detailing on some of the technologies that could be used to turn off stellate cells. Uh, before I hand it over to Roger, um, I wanted to reflect on you know your study you're setting up with long-term outcome. And remember, if you have compensated cirrhosis or you're looking at the population like uh, the Sentuzumab trials that were negative from Gilead, you have, you have a relevant event rate and you might not need that long outcome study to show in these patients that your diagnostic test in a you know, advanced population is linked to clinical outcomes. That's a good point. Uh, and that's why I also think it's really interesting to see what is happening, even though we may take away the driver, but we because it's, I mean, like I'm coming back to the semaglutide data, which you mentioned again, because it could be that we just turn down activation of the hepatic stellate cells, but it doesn't mean, it doesn't translate into reduction of fibrosis for years, but it could also mean that you stabilize the condition. And being able to measure that, I think, would be extremely helpful because I, I'm sure we've done something good for the patients if we even just stabilize the disease. Because the other work that we're involved with, and there are data, it's still probably six to 12 months away before we see the first intervention data, is on, on the uh, looking with the gadoxetic acid or gadoxetate to look at the hepatic or liver function with imaging. So we're looking into hepatocyte function to really see what is the amount of functioning hepatocytes available in the liver, which have very strong predictive value. So I think there will be data coming out, intervention data, in the next probably 6 to 12 months, I hope. So, uh, Lars, a really naive question about that. Is there any reason that that data should produce better or worse in a cirrhotic, say, a compensated cirrhotic patient than somebody with a 2F3 fibrosis? Or we're really looking at the same thing. It's just a question of what your baseline is and where you are in the disease. I think the data on that technique is actually all coming from compensated and decompensated cirrhosis. So there's not that much data in the early stage fibrosis. I would actually turn the question around and say we don't know how well it performs in early stage fibrosis. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Surfing the Nash Tsunami on Wednesday, July 27th. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.